opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona. I am here, as always, with the crew, um, backing us up, streaming us, and just executive producer extraordinaire, Bryn. How you doing, Bryn? Hello, my honey. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. Oh, hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> doing very good. Doing very good. That was very cute. Um, I, I've just doing- had some coffee, uh, which I don't drink very often. So I'm a uh, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be a morning. <laughs> yeah, and we have a long day ahead of us. Uh, this evening is the BPI board meeting with a lot of updates. So yeah, keep drinking that coffee, my friend. Oh, well, you Posting- got it. <laughs> Hosting for us is Sheila Young. Hey, Sheila. Hey, Anthony and Bran. How are you guys and girls doing? I'm doing wonderful. I've got my air conditioner off and my windows open. Nice, Woo-hoo! nice. Uh, it's time for sweater weather. March. Yeah. Oh, it's not quite that cool here yet. Um, we still have the air going, but doing well, doing well. And connecting and broadcasting us in Clubhouse is Herbie Allen. How you doing, Herbie? I'm doing wonderful. How about the you there, Mr. Anthony? Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. So for you folks in Clubhouse, later on when it's time to chat a little bit, if you'd like to chat with Mike, Herbie will let us know. And um, I'm going to do a couple of announcements uh first one being on tuesday i will be with herbie in the community cooking corner making bourbon balls and chicken skewers uh really looking forward to that all right also this wednesday night we have the sunday edition book club we'll be discussing the final two books in the madeline lingual time quintet called many waters and an acceptable time. So you can find that information on the community call schedule and uh, join us. I believe it's at 9 p.m. on Wednesday. So two great books. If you've never read them, you can find them on Bard. The DB numbers are in the announcements that I send out. And uh, again, that's Wednesday at 9 p.m. Joining us also from Orlando is Leslie Spoon. And uh, I guess we're creeping up towards that holiday auction time again, Leslie, huh? We are. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me again on Sunday edition. I really, really appreciate it. And yes, the holidays are around the corner. Like Sheila said, my air is off also. It's great. Uh, the, the air is crisp. The uh, hot chocolate is coming. The marshmallows <laughs> and the ACB Media Holiday Auction. So 
Everybody get ready. Uh, this week is the deadline. You know, I'll take things. I, I never turn anything down. But if you guys know what you're going to do, please reach out to one of the committee members or myself and let us know. Um, Want to put it on the list and get it going and have a wonderful ACB Media holiday auction like we always do. All the proceeds go to ACB Media, which we love these programs like yours, Anthony and Paul Edwards and everybody's uh, program that we love, you know, some near and dear to our hearts. So um, here's some dates. So I don't want anybody to forget <laughs> uh, the appetizer sneak a peek appetizer auction will be November 24th and 25th, right after Thanksgiving. So you can get all your goodies for the holidays. And then the main event will be November 26th at, sorry, at, um, 6 p.m. So November 26th at 6 p.m. We're starting an, an hour earlier. Um, it will be on ACB Media and uh, stay tuned for that. We're starting earlier so we can maybe end a little earlier and everybody can maybe get to bed earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so there'll be five segments, uh, lots of fun, a lot of good uh, things up for, for auction. So please, please stay tuned. Uh, lots will be coming out on ACB Leadership and Conversation. So, so Leslie, I'm going to ask you two questions. What email can they use if they would like to donate something and talk to us about donating funds towards shipping? Oh, sure. Definitely. Yes. So the first one's easier. So <laughs> they're both easy, um, but you can donate. If you guys don't know what to donate, please donate towards shipping. It helps um, because we don't charge anybody shipping. Um, when you buy an item, it's all free and clear. And, you know, all the proceeds go to ACB media. So um, if you, so if you don't know, you, you can donate as, as much as you want or as little as you want. We, we don't turn any shipping down. So yes. So if you're feeling it saying, I just don't know what to donate, shipping is always wonderful. Um, just let me know. And your second question, my email, can I give it? Is that okay? Yeah, you can give okay. your email. Okay. So my email is Leslie Spoon with an E um, at CFL, CatFrankLima.rr.com. So my name, Leslie Spoon at CFL.rr.com. So get in touch with us. We'd love to have everything on the list by, you know, middle of October. The deadline is this week, but please, please, uh, you know, get in touch with us. So All thank right. you again, Anthony, for having me. Absolutely. You should come on um, the week before and just remind everybody, you know, just like you're doing today. I'd love a, to. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All have right. a wonderful Sunday. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now we can get to the main event. I am very, very happy to welcome Mr. Mike Tyndall to Sunday Edition. We've been talking back and forth about this for a couple months. We got to hang out at convention, and finally, we're here. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You have a great story. You have a great attitude, and that's what we love on Sunday Edition. So why don't we start getting into it? And uh, tell us a little about yourself, where you're from. We you know, I've never really talked about all the stuff we're talking about today publicly on anything, but um, my name is Mike Tyndall, for those of you who may or may not know, and I kind of have a history of doing access technology for um, all of my life. I was born in a little small town called Avon Park, Florida, which is just south of Frostproof. I heard folks from Orlando on the call and folks from 
Fort Lauderdale and Miami. So lots of people in Florida. Um, but I was born in a little small town in Avon Park three months early, weighed two pound and 14 ounces in 1977 in August, August 2nd, in fact. So you can all remember to send birthday gifts, but <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yes, but so I was, I was born there and, uh, doctors thought I would not make it. Um, a helicopter was on site and they flew me to Tampa general, um, to the, well, to the, to the, I, I think it was Tampa general in Florida. And, uh, I was there in the NICU for three months. And so obviously, um, retinopathy of prematurity is my blindness. So, you know, the oxygen destroyed the retina from my eyes. And so obviously I've never seen. And, uh, my mother and father had me when they were very young. My mom was like 17. My dad was 19. They were married. And uh, then they had my brother two years later. Um, my mom and dad kept me with the help of my grandparents on my father's side. And um, they then divorced. And so my mother moved up to Alaska. My mother's brother-in-law was in the army and so her sister and all their family had moved up to alaska and so she asked my grandparents would they raise me and they said yes they would but the only way they would do it is to adopt me if she would let them adopt me that they would raise me so um they did that when i was four and um so i started public school at five, went to Lakeland, Florida. So was bused there every day from um, Hardy County. I was bused into Polk County, like a two hour bus ride. And uh, that's where I learned Braille and all that mainstreamed in the public schools. And um, <clears throat> so then after about the age of 10, my mom moved back to Augusta, Georgia. And at that point, um, I began having a relationship with my mom. Um, I would go see them, you know, a few weeks here and there in the summer. Um, Christmas, I would usually fly up and see them. I remember the first plane ride I ever took. I was I was 10. And uh, so my grandparents drove me from at that time we were living in Frostproof in, in Polk County. So they drove me from Frostproof over to Tampa, which was a pretty good ride. And uh, dropped me off at the airport and my plane was delayed and they had already left to drive back home. And my grandma said she cried the whole way because they had left me at the airport. And um, that was my first mm. induction to flying. And uh, we'll talk more about flying for me later. But um, so so that was, you know, kind of my beginnings as a, as a child. And um, so then after I... Um, when I was, I guess, four or five, um, <clears throat> my grandfather was a musician. Uh, my mom also played piano and, um, my grandparents were Pentecostal. So church was always a big part of, of my life. And, uh, my grandfather was a preacher. And so we traveled a lot, did evangelism. Um, I played the piano for the church for years and years. And then we, uh, would travel and sing as a, as a, as a, you know, several people would sing, form bands and traveled. And then as I became a teenager, I started traveling and, and playing piano and singing with gospel quartets. 
and uh, I still sing and play. So that's, you know, it's kind of where I got my start. Many years ago, my grandfather had the opportunity to play the guitar with Roy Acuff and turned him down because he said he wanted to be a family man. And uh, so he did not go on the road with Roy Acuff, but he did have that opportunity. So, um, so yeah, Anthony, that's a little bit about my childhood, at least. Very interesting. Um, so I, I want to jump back for, for a minute. You went to public school, you said. Um, at, at that point, when you, you know, going into public school, how much mm -hmm. exposure had you had to, um, you know, being blind technology, reading Braille, or any of that? Like, did you, how much about being blind did you know at that point? So, you know, I think about, I think about my life and I think about, and, and, and again, I'll, 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 I'll dive kind of more and talk about it later, but my grandparents who raised me, um, my grandfather had like a high school education. My grandmother, I think she went through like the eighth grade. So, you know, they did not have real high education. They raised six children of their own, three boys, three girls. Um, and then they had me as their grandchild who they adopted. And my dad was number four in the mix of six. Um, and so the interesting thing is, you know, they did all they could do to provide me the chance to have the best education that I could have. Um, I think a lot of it I kind of did on my own. When I was young, I did not really like school. It wasn't a thing I enjoyed. I was on the bus every morning by 6 a.m. and didn't get home to five at night. So it was a very long day for me. And um, I don't think I really applied myself until I was like in the fifth grade. I just kind of squeaked getting by. And I had this main homeroom teacher whose name was Charlie Whitehead, and I'll never forget him. He made such an he made such an impact on me because when things needed to be read, rather than having a student come over to read to me, he would bring a chair over, sit down by my desk and read. And that that made such an impact in my life that the teacher himself cared enough about me and my succeeding that he took the time himself to do that. And there was something about that. And from that point, I started making straight A's. And so I you know, was in the junior honor society on the, and then I was in the honor society and I was on the A team. Um, when we moved into Frostproof, I was, um, my, my high school I actually played the piano for the Rotary Club there. And the Rotary Club um, bought me my first Braille and Speak. Um, I had no technology before that except for, um, you know, Perkins Braille or Braille books. My vision teacher would transcribe everything and give it to the homeroom teachers or all my classroom teachers, and they would grade the work. And then, um, you know, if anything had to be brailled, my vision teacher would braille worksheets. Now I had all my books coming in, of course, from APH. <coughs> but the um, <clears throat> the actual, you know, worksheets and that kind of thing was all hand brailled by my my vision teacher. And then when I was doing geometry and that kind of thing and honors geometry, she would take hot glue and make all those diagrams for me. Wow. 
were there were there any other blind students in your elementary school? In my elementary school, there were um, two two blind students who I remember. Um, you know, we said close through school, Chastity and Amanda. Um, I think both of them may still be living in Florida at this point. I'm not sure, but yeah. Um, so they were there. We were we were close friends. And then just a quick story. So when I was, uh, I we we had moved to Frostproof, and my last year of elementary school, we had an intern from Florida State who was interning in Polk County, and she was her name was Susie, and Susie was um, interning to, to to become a vision teacher, and my vision teacher at that point, her name was Anna Aglis. She then became Anna Whitman. Um, and she was one of these people who just did everything. And I thought, you know, if I could just grow up someday to be like Anna, she flew ultralight planes. She taught scuba diving. She taught college calculus at night. Um, she was an EMT. Mm. I mean, just an amazing, amazing woman. Um, they were big Florida State fans. And so almost every weekend during football season, they would drive up to Tallahassee and watch all the home Florida State games and come back. You know, and to me, I mean, that was just such a big deal because, I mean, I'm this kid and she's going all the way from Lakeland to Tallahassee to watch a ball game and come back home and it's the weekend and that's what she did. I mean, you know, that was amazing to me. And, um, yeah, so she was a very big influence in my life. And then with Susie, Polk County hired her um, to be actually my vision teacher. So when I started seventh grade, I went to um, a school in Bartow at that point called Union Academy for one year. And um, Susie was my vision teacher. And then I decided when we went back to when we after that year, um, I wanted to be in the in the band. So so I said I want to play trumpet. So we rented a trumpet through the band program. And Susie, on my birthday, August 2nd that year, took me to band camp. And <laughs> so we left. And so I said, you know, what do you think? And she said, well, you know, you did a great job, you know, starting out. And she said, your band teacher is one of the most nice looking men I've ever seen. And I thought, okay, but why is she telling me that? You know, that's kind of interesting that she would share that she liked him, whatever. A year later, Susie and Brian were married. Aww. And, uh, you know, I still credit myself because I say, you know, had I not had I not wanted to be in band, they may have never met. So, yeah, they were they married and had two children. And I think both kids are now in high school and they're doing great. I'm blessed. And what was your high school experience like? High school was interesting for me. I um, did not have a lot of friends in high school. I kind of went to school, did my thing. I was on the high school varsity team, um, the A team for academics. And so we would travel the state and compete. Um, and then I, I don't usually share this part of my story, but I will today. So I was held back in second grade and fourth grade because I was not reading Braille fast enough. And so when I finished 
10th grade, I decided that rather than being two years behind, I was going to get my GED and start college. So mm. what I so so what I did was I went down to Avon Park um, to the community college there with no preparation, just walked in one day, had the Braille test, did my ACD. My, my I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, I, I took my GED, um, got it. And at that point, I decided I was going to start college. And I, I went to the Daytona Rehab Center over the summer and did their college prep program, took honors English and speech. Um, luckily, I made A's in both of them. And then that fall, I was planning to attend um, mm -hmm. Avon Park Community College. And my Aunt Diane, who is actually on this call today, she and I went with my first guide dog, Paige, to the college campus. And she was walking me around. And I'll never forget, we were flying. And all of a sudden, I ran into the sign and corrected my dog. And it was quite an event for her. But um, she got through it. And uh, so, yeah, so so that was there. And then during, I always say, you know, oh, pardon me, I almost, I swallowed coffee wrong before we started this, <laughs> this, this webinar and I'm still having a problem. But anyway, um, so before um, that, that college semester started in Avon Park, um, I always say, you know, in life, it's not necessarily what you know, but sometimes it's who you know. And I, I met some folks in Florida um, who told me about a leadership conference that was going to be held at Lions Camp in Lake Wales. And I went there and I met a gentleman named Ron Miller who <clears throat> worked for and still works for what is now known as Freedom Scientific. So I talked to him and um, they needed someone's work in their technical support department for Braille and Speak and Braille Lite because I had one. Um, I knew those products and I said, well, you know, if that is a thing that you need, let me think about it. So I went, interviewed, got a job and then I had to make the decision. Do yeah. I do I continue college? Or do I take this job? And I said to myself, I can always go back to school if I need to. But who's to say that, um, you know, I've got an opportunity for this job. Let me take it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> so I take this job and about three months into it, um, they called me into the office and said that they wanted me to do escalation tech support. And I felt a little bit strange about that because there were people who had come down from Maryland when the company was Blazy Engineering. Some of you will remember that. Um, to, you know, now they're making me kind of like over all these people in doing escalation tech support when there are people who have been there a lot longer than me. And, um, but I embraced it and said, fine, I'll do it. And so I did. And um, for a couple of years was living in Stewart, Florida, doing that 
um, my grandparents were still in, in frost proof. And um, oftentimes they would drive over to Stewart and stay with me on during weekdays. And then we would drive on weekends or usually on Fridays um, back over to frost proof. And then I was singing every weekend full-time with a band based in Orlando. So I would sing on weekends and then get back in time just on Monday mornings because I was doing escalation tech support. I worked 11 to eight, which worked well. Usually what I would do would work 11 to eight on Monday, eight to eight, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then try to get out of there as early as I could on Friday afternoon um, to go sing. And so that kind of, you know, that kind of worked out for me. So then we, um, had to move. They they shut down the steward office and they moved everybody who wanted to stay on board with the company over to St. Pete. And so I went over, looked at apartments in St. Pete, still working for Freedom Scientific at that point. Um, I looked for apartments. I found one. And my next door neighbor happened to be, unbeknownst to me, Jeff Bazer, who was working in sales for freedom at that point. So we, we were neighbors. I was doing tech support. He was sales. And um, I continued my escalation role over there, but I also got very much into um, doing JAWS tech support. And one thing I just want to say quickly about computers is Anthony was asking earlier about, you know, my grandparents and, um, you know, and I was talking about my role in, um, you know, their role in my life. When I, started to college. It was in uh, 1999 when I, when I ordered my first laptop, had never used a laptop in my life, knew nothing about it. And um, so all I knew was basically what I needed. So I, I call gateway, I order this computer and then, and then my grandmother on a credit card um, put jaws on there so that I could, have jaws and using those training tapes that were in jaws back in the day that's how i learned the wow. computer that's where it started did you take to it easily well i did um technology for me has always been fun it's always been easy um but i've kind of learned it always just kind of as i would go um so, you know, I would I, I started taking JAWS calls and um, still doing all the escalation hardware stuff. And that, um, you know, I continued doing that um, up until 2005. So I started in 2001. I worked for them until 2005. I was sitting at my desk one day. And I got a phone call from the National Federation of the Blind. And I answered my phone, not knowing who it was. And um, it was the director of their technology department. And she asked me, would I be willing to come to Baltimore for an interview? They wanted to consider hiring me at the National Federation of the Blind to work in their access technology lab. And what that is, is a lab it's about the size of a football field and they have yep. one of every piece of technology made um, for the blind. And there's many people that come there talking about, you know, I want to invent blah, blah, blah. What can we do? And so they get blind people involved. Um, so 
So when I was working at Freedom, I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell this story kind of quickly because it it kind of is going to talk more bridges. about yeah. yeah it's going to bridge us to the next section. So one night I'm sitting at my desk and I get this phone call from this gentleman who uh, needed to have his jaws actually repaired as it turned out and we were about to close in like five minutes and so I found out his name and I I, I normally would not have done this but I said um, I can help you do this now or you can call back tomorrow or if you don't mind I'll take your phone number and give you a call when I get home and I'll help you fix it so he said, yeah, I really need it. If you don't mind, give me a call when you get home. And it was fine. So I did. We fixed it. So day number two comes after work. And I called him and I said, how's your computer doing? And he said, it was fine. And I said, good. And we talked for a minute. And my grandparents at this point happened to be at my house. And um, I happened to smoke. They knew that. Um, they wasn't real thrilled about it, but they, you know, my grandfather, I did some computer work for a guy one time and I walked out the door and he saw me smoking. I planned it that way so he could drive up and see it. And he said, you know, we'll, we'll never buy them for you. If you want to smoke, you buy them yourself. Um, I won't buy them, but I also won't tell you that you can't smoke. It's your decision. You're an adult. So that was fine. So day number three rolled around and I called this person back. He had this voice just from God. And I mean, I was like 24, maybe. Um, today, I probably wouldn't do that. But back then I did. And uh, he answered the phone and he said, immediately, if we're going to be friends, you need to know that I'm gay. And I said, so am I. And that was the first time I had ever admitted to anyone other than myself that, that, that I was gay. And so um, that was, you know, kind of interesting. And so then uh, when the NFB called, I said I would fly up to Baltimore, talk to them. So I flew up to Baltimore. We had the discussion. They hired me on the spot, said, when can you start? I said, I can start on Labor Day that week. This was after a convention season was over. And um, I think part of what kind of made me make the move was um, – the gentleman's name I'm talking about that we had this conversation, his name was Al, and we continued talking for months every single day. And so when I decided to make the move, he said to me, why don't you come to North Carolina for a week that you're off before you move to Baltimore? Because I was moving to Baltimore, did not know one living soul in Baltimore. And I think had I stayed in Florida, you know, having that week off, it would have been much more difficult to move than it was to just kind of quit the job, 
and go Bump, jump and go somewhere, yeah. right? Like go somewhere. Yeah. So, so I go to North Carolina. Al and I decide at that point that we're going to be partners in a long distance relationship. And so he's living in North Carolina. He has all his professor friends there. Um, he's a retired college professor. I moved to Baltimore. And then every week, every other weekend or so, I would fly down to visit Al. And um, so after, you know, working at the NFB, that was a lot of fun. Learned a lot about all technology. Um, worked there from 2005 to 2007. But then I really realized I kind of wanted to get back into a company kind of doing one thing rather than being somewhere and knowing a little bit about everything. I, I, I kind of felt like um, I wanted to kind of dive back in and, and, and be involved in one company's products. And so there was a, there was a guy who um, had asked me to write a letter of reference for him because humanware had a product specialist job available. And I went to lunch with a friend of mine one day and, and and I had mentioned that to him and he said, you know, that's the perfect job for you. You should do it. And I felt really bad. And I said, well, okay, fine. I'll apply to. So I did. And um, my interview for getting that position was two parts. Um, one of them, I had to teach a Braille note at that time, Empower <laughs> workshop in the morning. I did that. And then in the afternoon, um, I had lunch with who would then be my boss. And he said, you know, I'm concerned about your ability to read Braille because in this job, you're going to be doing presentations. And you're going to need to be able to read Braille as quickly as somebody can read print. Can you do that? <laughs> and I thought, well, I guess the best way to do it is just to show him. So I got a Braille note Apex out that I had. And the only book on there was A Christmas Carol. And this happened to be around Thanksgiving time. <laughs> and so I opened the book and I read two paragraphs. He said, you can stop now. And so I did. And uh, I got that job. And, you know, thinking back, it was like I was held back in elementary school because of my ability to read Braille. And then, you know, as it turned out, you know, as I continued, um, I did continue to read Braille, obviously, and practice reading out loud and became, you know, quite proficient at reading Braille. And and, and, I, and I, I, I tell that story to students and I tell them, you know, don't just read Braille, but when you're reading, read out loud because that's going to make you a more proficient reader. And um, I feel that, you know, had I not been able to read Braille proficiently, it wouldn't matter um, how good of a teacher I was. If I couldn't read the Braille, I would yeah. not have had that job. So I'm going to I'm going to put a pin in, in the story progression for a minute. First off, and say thank you for saying that um, as someone who is very early on in the braille journey just learning um 
I also feel that it will it will immensely aid me in in the future. Um, I I need it. I want it, and I I definitely encourage anyone who you know thinks it might be too hard or to give it a try. You know, you can't you can't know something is too hard if you don't try. Um, right. But I also I also want to just for a moment go back to the lab. Um, I toured NFB early on in my blind journey um, and and was overwhelmed in, in, in the great, you know, the great way of seeing all the stuff, from, you know, being able to touch and, and experience mm-hmm. all the stuff from the past and all this stuff that was available. We're, this is going back about five years now, five and a half years, sure. um, all the stuff that was currently available and actually being able to touch stuff. And um, the guy who was working there. Um, spent about five, four, almost five hours, you know, with me. We we stopped for a half hour to go get food. Um, it was a great experience. So that is also something that I recommend to folks. You know, if you're ever in the Baltimore area and have the opportunity, spend a couple of hours um, at the NFP Center and and take a look. You know, and braille through the uh, blind through the years, so to speak. But I also want to ask you, you started uh, the friendship and then a relationship with a college professor. You just told us what you told us about your feelings for, for Braille. And at any point during this journey, did you think about going back to school or had you, you know, I personally would have taken the job too, especially with, you know, how difficult it can be for folks in our community to find secure employment. Did, did you ever go back to that, the school thought process? You know, Anthony, it's interesting that you would ask the question. And actually, I did not. Um, I, you know, when I started doing tech support back in the day, 20 years ago, um, I knew that I was not going to let blindness ever stop me from doing something. Um you know, and 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 being being from a very small town, w- raised by people who did not have a lot of monetary means, um, we lived in a mobile home with no AC in Central Ooh. Florida for probably the first ten years of my life. Then we got window units. Then when we moved into frostproof, we had central air. But up until that point, um, you know, my grandfather did everything in his power to provide for his family, but we did not have a lot. Um, you know, and, and, and um, you know, statistically, maybe because of that, some people may have thought, you know, um, what is what is Mike, the blind guy? gonna do and i knew i knew just 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 based on the raising that i got um that i was not gonna be a guy just sitting around i didn't know what i was gonna do but i knew i wanted to teach um so so you know that was my plan of going to college i was gonna major in education and you know and i've even had you know, principals of schools for the blind and stuff even say to me, you know, you might not have a college degree, but you are an amazing teacher. And, you know, not 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 bragging or tooting my own horn, but, 
you know, many, many people have said to me, you are an amazing teacher. You are an amazing trainer. And, you know, I, I, I'm very thankful um, for that. And, and I think that in the blindness community, um, a lot of blind people know me um, in ACB and NFB because I kind of have had a reputation of spending the time with people and making sure that they got what they needed. Yeah. Um, and that's important to me, you know, it it's, 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 Fred Gasoni was always a, a, a very close personal friend of mine. Some of you may remember Fred and, and he was kind of that way as well. That's kind of where I, 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 I got it was from Fred, you know, and it was like, I want to be a person who can help people. Um, and I always say, you know, in my, in my line of work, both singing and the technology that I've, that I've done and that I do, um, it's not a job for me. It's, it's just part of me living my life, doing what I can do to help other people. And that's what it's about for me. Well, kudos to, uh, Charlie. <laughs> teacher charlie who sat in and because you know charlie and anna and Susie probably also aided you know that feeling within you to come to the you know because i think we have gifts and powers and and things within us that are natural and they are out from you know from the time you start walking and talking and then there are some that have to be triggered they have to be kind of poked at and then you know surprise surprise you've got this talent too and speaking of that, let's let's go back again um, in time, because I, I do think it's very interesting. We have a high level in our community, and I, and I don't think it corresponds with the world at large of folks who are very musical and also very technical. Right. Um, and, and I think it's because of the way we have to use our brains all, you know, every day, all day. <laughs> I think it makes that interesting dichotomy. You have a lot of musicians who, you know, couldn't even pick up a MacBook and do anything with Pro Tools, you know, but they're recording amazing, you know, pieces, but they don't have that technical side. So let's talk about your music and your, you know, the music side of your life a little bit. When so did you... Re- yep, oh, so God. No, I was just going to say, when did you realize that there was music inside of you that needed to come out? <laughs> so when I was about four one day, I, re- I remember this as if it were yesterday. I remember standing by the piano. And I had my hand on, and, and I, I've never really thought about it till like right now when you ask. But I remember having my hand on this piano and um, <clears throat> thinking, I would like to someday do this. And so I remember um, we had this great, big, humongous, upright piano at my house. It was out of tune. It had a horrible F key that would go boink when you would push it. <laughs> and um, that's the piano I actually learned on. But all my grandfather knew about the piano was F, C, and G chords, and that's all he knew. But he showed me that. And from that point, um, I took it and started playing the piano by ear and just learned to play. Um, kind of by myself, just kind of did it. Never really had piano lessons or anything, just kind of started playing. And um, I remember 
again, I'm telling parts of my life I've never told, but my dad, my biological father, um, had horses when I was a kid and we would go over sometimes and we would feed the horses. Well, as a kid in like, you know, second grade, third grade, I was very envious of not having my father in my life a lot. He would ask my grandparents, how's Michael doing? But I was never as close to my dad as I was and am my mom. Um, even though he lived 20, 30 minutes away from me, I talked to him. He always says, if you ever need anything, call me. And because I don't really need anything, I don't call him <laughs> except for like on father's day and his birthday. And I tell him happy father's day. And, you know, I mean, we've never fought. We're just not close. Um, but I'm telling that to say, I was very envious maybe of, you know, him being right there and not really being a part of my major life, but I didn't know how to convey it. So I told this lie that like I had horses and I had, you know, um, you know, all these things at my house that of course I didn't have, but I, I, I made this up and it was this, it was this big fabrication that went on for days. And so we were having a talent show. And the teacher who taught me Braille, her name was Becky Babich. And she had an aide named Miss Jan. We always called her Miss Jan. And so I said, you know, I want to play in this talent show. And I don't even remember what I played and sang, but I remember Becky and Jan were in tears. And I finally said, why are you crying? And they said, Mike, we didn't believe you. When you told us you could play the piano and sing, we had no idea. We thought we were going back to Leo and the horses and your lies. We didn't believe you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So. so you've shared with us about your grandfather and church and evangelical work. Um a lot of us have experienced some church situations where folks want to pray for us and things. What, what was your church experience like? All that. Um, yes. So, so people, you know, people want to pray for me. Um, and, you know, um, I think that, you know, it's interesting, um, being a person who is gay. And again, I mean, I don't really, I've never really shared that like in a public space. If somebody were to ask me the question, yes, I'm not going to deny it. Um, but I've never just like, you know, on a public space said it. Yes, I am Mike Tyndall and I am a gay man. Um, but it is very true. And I knew that from probably the age of 18. And I'm a very firm believer that um, God has made us who we are. Absolutely. And, you know, um, you know, you can, in my mind, you know, whether you like someone, whether you love someone, 
whether you hate someone. I don't necessarily believe any of that is a choice that we make. We can decide how we're going to act upon how we feel, right? But I mean, whether I like you or not like you, I don't think that that's a choice I can necessarily make. It's how I feel inside that just occurs, right? And then I act upon that feeling that I have inside that I may or may not be able to change. And, you know, people have said to me, how can you play the piano? How can you sing gospel music and then leave there and live the lifestyle that you live? And I tell them simply because God made me the way he made me. And if God has a problem with me being who I am, he made me that way. So I don't know what else to say. (laughs) But the reason I'm saying part of that is it was interesting because my grandmother used to always ask me questions about, and I'm going to get back to the music, but I want to share this really quickly, Anthony, because I think it's important. Um, My grandmother used to always ask me the question, you know, I would stay overnight with friends and I would, you know, stay overnight with band members. And, and she would say, you know, what's going on? I think there's more going on than what you're telling me. And I said, Oh no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. And, um, my aunt Diane, who's actually on this call, um, I'm going to share a little bit about our family. I hope that's okay. But, Many years ago, uh, she had a horrible car accident and lost her oldest child and almost did not live herself. And of all my dad's side of the family, she is my favorite, no question. Um, We've always been the closest. I used to go over to her house and stay as a kid with her family. And so one time... Um, after after she lost Della, she and her husband had two other wonderful children, Jock and Tara. And um, so she came over to visit her parents one day and me. I flew in from Baltimore and uh, we were just sitting talking. And it was the craziest thing because out of the blue, my grandfather says to her, just like, wham, he's like, So, Diane, when's Tara going to make us great-grandparents? And I thought, well, where did that come from? Because, I mean, like, really? That was random. She said, Daddy, I don't know if she ever will make you great-grandparents. Tara is a lesbian. And so it was like, oh, I didn't know that. So I'm just kind of sitting there going, wow. Okay. Nothing more was said. She and I walk outside to smoke. We both smoked at that point. Um, she doesn't anymore. I still do. But uh, <laughs> so, so yeah. So she, so we walk outside and I said, you know, you just dropped a major bombshell. Shall I make it too? And she <laughs> said to me, and I was dead serious. I was like, oh my God, like you just told your dad, his granddaughter is a lesbian. Okay. So I said, you know, should we make it two? 
And she said, whatever you decide to do, I will support you. Well, I walked back inside. I didn't say a word. I was just like, I'm not ready for this yet. So she leaves. My grandfather goes to bed. For whatever reason, my grandma stays up. Now, my mother, you know, I'm, I'm out to several people, but certainly not to them. My mother's brother, my biological mother, her brother, um, was 39 when he died of AIDS in 1999. Um, he was gay. And of course, I, you know, I was out to everybody that, you know, people at that point in my life, people who I knew could handle it, I would tell. But anybody else that I thought might have a problem because I wanted approval and I wanted their friendship. Yeah. I just wouldn't tell them. So yeah. I was kind of living this life of who have I told and who have I not told? And I have to remember all this and oh my God. Yeah. So, so my grandma, um, I told her, I said, you know, you've asked me these questions about what I do, whatever. And I've lied to you and I'm done lying to you. I do have a partner. Um, I am gay, but do not tell granddad. He'll die. He'll have a heart attack, a stroke. And we'll be taking care of him for the rest of his life because he just will not be able to handle it. Whatever you do, don't tell him. Well, she didn't say anything. She did not say, I won't. She did not say, oh, I'm going to. She said nothing. And so the next day, they're driving me up to the church to practice for the next. This is on a Friday night. So on Saturday, I'm rehearsing with some folks to sing on Sunday because I'm in town. I'm playing the piano because I'm there. And so coming back to their house, he tells me, uh, you know, your grandma told me your lifestyle. We don't agree with it, but we'll always love you. And I said, okay, thank you. I love you too. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of all that was said. So Sunday morning rolls around and I walk in his office and I said, um, what about the piano? He said, what about it? No one knows. No one needs to know. Go play the piano. Go with God. And to me, that was the biggest acceptance that he could ever give me. He never said any more about it, but there was never a phone call that we ever hung up that before we hung up, he would always say to me, go with God. So I believe that in his heart, he knew that I'm a Christian and that I you know, certainly have, have belief and faith. And, um, you know, so it was, it was, it was so uplifting and so rewarding. You must have laid your life out that day. Well, like I said, it was, it was, it was such a, it was such a feeling of being accepted. And, you know, I will say to Diane, I think I still owe that to you because I probably would have never told them had you not talked about Tara and gave me the confidence that night to tell my grandma. Um, I'll just very quickly tell a story that one time she, Diane came over to visit. I was like six. And I was the only kid, you know, so I was very spoiled. And my gra my grandma was keeping some kids babysitting and she was swinging this kid on a swing. And I wanted her to swing me. And so I'm like, will you swing me, grandma? And she's like, in a minute. Because she was swinging this other kid. And I'm like, I want you to swing me now. 
And Diane Uh-oh. heard me. Diane heard me say that. And, you know, she had little kids at this point. She's like, she ran out there and jerked me off that swing. And she said, I don't know who you think you're talking to, but that is my mama. And she was <laughs> my mama before she was your mama. And you won't talk to my mama like that ever again, or I will wear you out. And boy, that, that made such an impression on me. You know, it was like, wow, <laughs> she was not kidding. But, but, um, you know, again, go, going, go, going back to the music. Um, when my uncle was dying of AIDS, um, I wrote a song that, um, it's called God is Greater, and it's a song I wrote. I remember riding down the road on the bus with a singing bus at that point. And um, I wrote that song and called him, and and my, my mom put the phone up by his ear, and I sang the song to him, um, you know, a few weeks before he passed away. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that you know, I, I, writing is not a thing I enjoy doing. I hate writing anything, but writing music and writing, you know, speeches and that kind of thing, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. But it's just a thing that I um, have never liked to do. But, you know, so not only do I play and sing, and my favorite thing is to sing harmony with groups and that kind of thing. Um, I'm, I'm in a band now in Minnesota and in Baltimore and in Minnesota. You know, we don't have a lot of Southern gospel music where I got all my roots to sing. So, you know, for the past 20 years, I've done country and blues, but um, still enjoy, you know, going back time to time places and doing gospel music as well. If you don't mind um, sharing a little bit, I had an aunt who who passed away from HIV from AIDS um, in the late nineties. How much how much did that experience affect your accepting yourself, coming out, if at all? Again, coming from the Christian Pentecostal faith. Um, my grandparents never wanted me to have much to do with my uncle who was gay on my mom's side. Um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I always heard them talk about, you know, John, the gay one. (laughs) Um, and I, I've never had a problem with me being me being gay. Um, that is never for one moment been a problem for me. Um, you know, I think the, 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 you know, losing him to AIDS, um, you know, often says, you know, it's there, (laughs) um, you know, be careful, right? Obviously. But, um, as far as me, um, being 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 me i think it 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 never caused me to 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 doubt or to have any um any any questions at that at that at that point in my life we were doing a pride connection recently um with some folks and 
somebody had made a comment that it was something to the effect of it was wonderful at, at the, that point in their life to be able to live their life without thinking about who to say it to, who can I say it to, you know, who knows, who doesn't know all of that. Sure. Um, and I realized at, at that moment, I, I'm always, I'm someone who says, I don't lead with being gay. I'm a man and I'm a gay man. It is what it is. But I, all, I, I realized in that moment how comfortable I've been most of my life. Um, you know, when I talk about my partner and, and our life, I, I don't ever worry about who am I, who's around. I can't see everybody who's here. I, like none of those things enter. Um, and so first and foremost, to all that came before us and paved the way, I will always respect and have and, and have a, a high level, um, you know, of respect for those that came before us. But also the world is trying to claw back things. And I start to worry a little more than I have for most of my life. Have you had any experiences since coming you know since grandma and and have you had any experiences where you you thought maybe you should pull back a little so it's interesting that you would ask that question because i i wasn't sure how i was going to bring this in but but you kind of brought it in for me so um and i owe this absolutely 100 percent. i owe this to god and I owe this to ACB, and I owe this to BPI. Um, after I did all that, I was working for Humanware, had been working for them for a long time, <laughs> and I moved down to Alabama because I was going to play the piano for, well, I wasn't going to, I did, play the piano for a church, and I was going to continue working for Humanware, which I did from Alabama because I could I could work from anywhere. Um, Al had passed away at that point, and I was living in Alabama. Um, and I had decided that maybe being gay was a choice. Maybe being gay was a thing I could sweep under the rug and no matter how I felt about it, maybe not act upon it. Being gay maybe is a choice. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe it is. So I'm there. Dating a girl. We had never been together physically. Um, and I mean, we'd been together physically, but never had relations. Okay. Right. Let me say it that way, just to be clear. <laughs> it wasn't a virtual thing. It was for real. I mean, we were both in the same church and we, you know, did stuff together all the time. And we were going to get married before convention. Wow. I rented an apartment, furnished it, all new furniture. I was living with a preacher, playing the piano for his church. She was living with her mom. And I was going to convention. And then I was going to come home. And we were getting married like 
a week later. So I go to convention. I'm working like crazy in the exhibit hall and doing all the things I do. And um, it's time to go home. Well, my plane was delayed. And here's where I say it was a God thing. I picked up my phone, called Delta Airlines, and said, put me on a plane tomorrow. I did not ask one question about anything other planes leaving that day. I didn't care. I said, put me on a plane tomorrow. And at that time, speaking of flying, I probably flew 45 weeks a year for humanware, teaching workshops on devices all across the country. That was my job. Did it for 13 years. So, and loved it. Um, just to throw that out there. So that is over. I'm going to fly home the next day and I have no room. So I called my friend Harlow and I said, Harlow, uh, I don't have a room. Can I stay in your room tonight? Um, do you have a problem with that? He said, no, but will you come with me to the BPI farewell meeting? And I said, I haven't done anything with BPI all week. Of course I will. So I go. And I'm there. And he won't mind me mentioning this, I know. So I'm just going to do it. Um, so I'm standing there. David Dowland, who was one of the founding members of BPI, he was there in the beginning, um, walked in the room. I didn't know David Dowland any more than I know somebody I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so he, he walks in the door. He had fallen down that summer at convention, broke his arm, his arm's in a cast. He fell on an escalator, oh. broke his arm. And so we're just there. I shook his hand. We the good talked. One. We talked. Yeah, the good one. Yeah, we talked. And um, it was not this like immediate, like, oh, my God, I have to jump in bed with you feeling. OK, I cannot explain the feeling that it was. I, I, I honestly can't tell you because I don't even know. I had never met the man. I shook his hand. We talk. And I am overwhelmed by this feeling of. You cannot marry this girl. Like, not a thought, an overwhelming experience that I had right there. And I don't get it to this day. But it happened. So I actually told him that night. I can't explain. And, and I mean, like, we did not do anything other than have dinner together. And I went to Harlow's room and laid down and did not sleep a wink. I got up at four o'clock in the morning, called a friend of mine in Baltimore. And I said to my friend, I'm leaving Alabama, coming back to Baltimore. And of course I have nowhere to go. So can I stay with you for a little bit till I figure it out? And my friend, her name is Marla. And she said, of course you can. So I did. 
So I so I flew home and I called Kimberly and I said, um, not your fault, all my fault. You can do with it whatever you want, but I'm a gay man. I don't know that I could be faithful to you and I will not marry you. Um, she begged me to marry her and I said, no, I won't do it. Um, and, and to this day, I thank ACB, I thank BPI, and I thank da David Dowland. And I, I, and I thank that plan being delayed because had that not happened, I yeah. probably would have married her. And I don't know what would have happened at that point in my life. But I'm so thankful that BPI is here, ACB is here. That plane was delayed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Let's take a pause. Um, a few minutes ago, you told us about the song you wrote for your uncle. Um, and that is the song that you decided you would share with us today. Um, is there anything else you want to tell us about the piece before we play it? Not really, other than just it is um, it is something that I wrote and um, I recorded it yesterday just for this for this pod for this uh, webinar podcast for Sunday edition. Um, it's just my piano and me with an iPhone. Well, it is absolutely beautiful, Bryn. If you can run that file for us. And if we only trust in him, 
beautiful thank you very much for sharing that with us i was thinking while we were hearing that you and i have had a lot of similar experiences in life i was not supposed to be at a convention i definitely had no idea what i was walking into when i walked into that bpi mix for the first time um but my entire life changed for the for the better um so let's let's take the pin back out um you got to to Baltimore, you're still working for Humanware. What was next in your journey? So I'm in Baltimore. Um, went there after deciding, you know, I can't do this marriage thing, and um, had a partner in DC for a number of years. So I actually wound up moving down to DC, um, living there, still working for Humanware. Um, my partner had to go into assisted living, so put him there and move, somehow I keep moving back to Baltimore, moved back to Baltimore, sold the condo, moved back to Baltimore. <laughs> and, um, at that point I had heard of an organization called prime timers and I thought, you know, I should check out this prime timers thing. So I go to prime timers first meeting. I'm there. I meet all these people. Second meeting is going to be held at an assisted living center with marketing for LGBTQ. And I'm thinking, boy, this is going to be great. I mean, they're just going to want to have a meal for us and like, tell us how wonderful they are. But are they really going to be true? Because, I mean, this would be like a godsend for me. So so I go, we're there. We have the meeting. It sounds wonderful. I talked to them and I said, are you really serious about, like, are you really LBGTQ friendly because, GLBTQ friendly because I need to move my partner here, like, tomorrow. I mean, this sounds great. So I talked to Bill. He's willing to move. So move Bill there. Um, Bill passes away. Um, my former partner, Bob, who lives in Baltimore, 
is also on the Zoom today, and he's actually at my aunt's house right now. <laughs> um, they're all they're all like family. I mean, we're we're all family. Bob and I are still very close friends, and um, so Bob and I lived together in Baltimore for five years, six years, and then I um, left Baltimore moved to Minnesota. But before I go there, let me talk about that. So I worked for Humanware up until um, 2018 when I had the opportunity to leave there and join HIMSS. Um, and I won't go into all of that, how that happened, but it just did. Um, I'm the one who resigned. Humanware did not lay me off. Um, but for reasons I won't go into, I resigned, um, one of the hardest decisions I ever made, but I did do it, um, went to work for Hens, worked for them until 2019 when they decided they could not pay me. So they laid me off because of budget reasons. And at that point, I met a friend in Minnesota and while I was here, um, was when I got the phone call that I was laid off. First time I've ever been laid off in my life. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, out of the blue, he says to me, um, we should be partners. And I said, well, I don't have a job. And he said, doesn't matter. If you're going to move, just do it. We'll figure it out. So I said, fine. So I did. Sold Bob my condo that I had. Bob bought it. Still has it today. And um, so Bob still lives in the condo where he and I live together and um, said he never wanted to move again. So could he buy my condo? I said, absolutely. You can buy my condo. So he did. And then I moved to Minnesota in 2019. And then Hims and I decided in 2020 that we would do a contract based employment. So I contracted with HIMS and did tech support and sales for them for about another year and a half. And then they decided again, they were going to lay me off. And I said, okay, I mean, what could I say? Fine. So at that point, Damian Pickering and Jim Gibble uh, had started a company called the Dream Vision Group. And Damien and I decided that I should just partner with them and be a partner of the Dream Vision Group. And so that's what we're currently doing now. Uh, since 2021, we are the master distributors of HandyTech products in the U.S. and Canada. Um, HandyTech is a German maker of note takers and Braille displays. Um, and we are the we are the U.S. distributor and, and Canadian distributor of those Braille displays. We also do sell HIMS products in certain markets of the country. And we also do access technology training on any piece of technology that someone wants to learn. Um, you know, with the expertise that we have in the company. Um we can do PC training, JAWS training, Mac training, phone training, note taker training on all note takers. Um, so that is, you know, a big part of what we do is training, support, and um, selling of the of the handy tech products. And if there's time, we can talk some about that as well. 
Are you guys able to work with um, Voc Rehab Services in in most of the states, or is it we can, all self pay? Um, no, we can we can certainly work with Voc Rehab. Um, you know, there's just forms that we go through that kind of thing to make it happen. But yes, um, we can do Voc Rehab as well as do self pay. I'm going to jump around a little bit with with some sidebar questions. Um, first one. You told us about your experience with Charlie. Um, is there a standout with you as the teacher or the trainer experience that changed you or changed your style of teaching or or just stands out because it was like, wow, for some reason? So, you know, it, it's interesting, uh, Anthony, that you would ask that question. But the interview that I had at HumanWare um, uh, there, there was a teacher who was a blind teacher in that setting. And he was kind of like going all over the place. And I walked over to him and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, you can do what we're doing, but I need you to come back with us, kind of slow down. Because you're kind of like out there doing your own thing and we're all over here doing this. So I need you to get with us and kind of do what we're doing. And I think in a job interview, me knowing it was a job interview, right? Um, my boss at lunch that day told me how wonderful I handled that situation. Kind of reeling him back in, but not making him feel embarrassed or calling yeah. him out in front of everybody. Um, you know, there was another time where, you know, as I experience, you know, and, and I do more teaching, um, I was in a workshop with a bunch of teachers and, you know, we're doing our thing and everybody is just talking louder than me. And so I finally just said, okay, folks, you all can talk as long as you want. I am done until you are done. And I just stood there until <laughs> they decided they were done talking. And then we continued on. But, you know, it's like I flew all this way to teach you and you're either going to listen to me or you're going to talk. And um, I think part of that is just experience, right? I mean, not being yeah. afraid to take control of a room. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think I think being a performer also kind of helps with that. I mean, I can Absolutely. honestly tell you, and, 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 you know, I'm not, I mean, you're a performer as well. Um, nothing makes me nervous. Um, I don't think he'll mind me saying it. Ronnie Millsap is a very close friend of mine personally. And, um, you know, I can walk into Ronnie Millsap's house and it's no different than me walking into your house. I mean, I'm not at all nervous in the presence of Ronnie Millsap. Ronnie Millsap is as much of a friend to me as, many of you are in this in this webinar um and i don't look at him as oh my god it's ronnie Millsap. no he's <laughs> my friend ronnie Millsap, and we sit there and have a smoke together you know i mean that's my friend ronnie Millsap. um so i don't you know those kind of things do not really make me nervous and again i think it's because of part of it is being a performer and you know and and you know kind of doing the work that i that i do um, I'm always in front of people and, you know, I have friends of mine who call me chatterbox. Um, so I guess I've earned the title. 
<laughs> in the best way possible, Mike. Absolutely. Okay. okay. On the music you know, side. Oh, no, yeah. go ahead. No, go, no. I was going to say on the music side, same kind of question. You know, how, what um, are some of your out-of-body musical performing experiences? I think one of the worst things I can remember is we were behind stage about to go out and I don't even know what to call this thing, but I had this little candy thing in my mouth and it was like a half marble shaped thing. I don't even know what to call it, but it had this indentation in it and the thing like went down my throat and I could feel it lodged beside my esophagus And I like took it, shoved it over into my throat somehow. It went somewhere. I never found it again. And then I had to walk out on stage and sing high tenor and play keyboard in like two seconds, literally. And um, I'll never forget that. And then when my grandfather was coming off the road one night, we went up to Orlando to sing. And there was this gentleman who was singing solo. And I remember driving home that night and saying to everybody in my band, if something ever happened to my grandfather, I would love to sing with that guy. And I won't go into all the details, but I will say that that did happen. Um, My grandfather stopped singing about two weeks later and less than three months later, Max and I were singing and we sang all over the country for five years until he passed away. But, um, you know, it's just interesting how those things can 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 kind of come full circle for for us. I'm gonna tell our friends in the room and in Clubhouse that they can start getting their hands up um if they would like to chat with you a little bit. Um I got a few more for you. You have um shared with us a lot of of loss and you have such um a bright personality such a a bright presence about you how do you balance the loss and and stay so positive i think it's because of people that come in your lives um you know and 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 again anthony and i did not talk about the questions he was going to ask me today and i think it's so amazing that you're asking me the questions you are because it's all part of of, of 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 things that I had decided that I wanted to talk about and kind of figure out where to put them. But, you know, I will say that since I've moved to Minnesota, um, I've been very involved in um, our prime timers here. And, um, you know, with, with, with my partner, Mike, and, there have been many, many friends that I have made um, in Minnesota. And I think, you know, Anthony, when you ask about um, how you balance all this, um, I think that um, if you think about a person who a lot of us know, Bruce Radke, who has such an amazing gift of of describing things he sees, helping so many people do so many things. He's such a giver in 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 our organization. And yeah. Bruce is not able to tr- 
travel anymore like he did. But there was a lot of times that Bruce and I have traveled and he was able to give that gift to me. And meeting people like that in my life is, I think, how I, you know, balance it because yes, you have loss and then you have amazing people that you meet. And an example of that is um, I have a, a, a sighted friend who I met in May of this year um, who reads for Radio Talking Book of Minnesota. His name is John. And John had a blind partner for 20 years. His blind partner passed away in 2020. And John, we met just as a coincidence. Um, he was going to have a potluck at his house and or his, his condo building. I wasn't able to go, but then people told us what an amazing building he had. Mike and I thought about maybe buying a condo in the building. So I called John and said, can we come over and look at this condo? And since we're going to do all that, we may as well have lunch. So we did. And at that moment, we became friends. And John has that same gift of giving back and describing and just, you know, reading and that kind of thing that Bruce has. And now for John to be such a close friend to me, it's allowing him to give back a gift that he has. And it's also allowing me to be there for him in his time of loss. Um, I think that's how you balance it because of the people in your lives and the people that you have around you. Absolutely. What do you, what do you think about unanswered prayers? The things that we think God doesn't do for us or doesn't provide for us. Like one of God's greatest gifts, right? I mean, like, that song, one of God, God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that so much of my life has, has been coincidental in things that have just happened. Um, and, I, and I think everything is meant to be. It's not just you wake up today and you meet this person or you wake up today and this plane was delayed or you wake up today and whatever. Right. I mean, I think everything in life happens for a cause and we may not know what the cause is, but there still is a cause. I don't think it just happened. We're of the, the same generation. Um, you know, when we look at our organization, um, which is rapidly aging, um, and then we look at the generations that are coming up behind us, and they're not as interested mm -hmm. in organizations like ours. Um, how do you, what do you think we can do to bring more energy and and more younger participation into ACB and BPI? <laughs> I'll throw that in there too. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, I'm going to divert and come back. I am very involved in Prime Timers, as I've mentioned about three times now. And Prime Timers is a, is a worldwide organization for older gay men and their admirers. Okay, so um, 
all my close friends in life have always been older than me. I think part of that's because my grandparents raised me. So I was friends with all their friends as a kid. Um, But, but I've never really questioned why are all my friends older than me? I just don't care. Okay. I know that, you know, probably they're going to pass away before me. That's okay. Um, I don't know that. I mean, I could die while we're on this phone call. But, you know, hopefully I won't. But yeah, um, God, don't know, answer we, that prayer. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, thank you, Jesus. But we, 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 we don't know what, what life holds in front of us, right? But I think that, you know, Anthony, when I, when I ask older gentlemen, tell me your coming out story. Or tell me you got married, but why? Because I had to, because it was, it was, it was, you know, what was expected of me. Um, we don't necessarily have to live our lives that way, you know, today. I mean, my friend John, um, who I was just talking about, was in a situation a few days ago, and he said to someone, I just want you to know, I am not a flag-waving person, but I am a gay man. And he was able to just say that at the age of, let's say, over 70, okay? Um, And, you know, for him to be able to say that openly, I am a gay man. And then from his generation, going younger than mine and your generation, where it is so much easier today for anyone to be what and who they want to be and who they are, and being able to be that person, um, you know, whether it's just a person with a disability, maybe it's a person, um, you know, trying to figure out gender identity or, you know, um, all of those things that, that, that can happen in our lives. We are living in a time where it is much easier for that to occur. And I think that, you know, um, we being in ACB, thank God that we have BPI. Um, you know, it is, it, is, it is there and it's been there for many years. And thank you to all of the generation before Anthony and I who paved that way. Yep. Um, and all the allies of BPI. But yep. I think, I, I, I think, I think, Anthony, that... You know, we just continue talking about the great work that we do as ACB members. And we, you know, show the world that we are ACB and that we are out there. Um, And I think that that is that is how we just continue to fight the fight, knowing that in many ways it's easier to fight it than it has been in the past. Um, and in some ways, maybe, you know, there are things that may take us back to where it's not as easy as it was a few years ago, but we continue just fighting the fight. All right. So let's do a couple of fun ones before we turn it over to the audience. Um, when you're not playing with tech or playing with music, what are some of your other fun hobbies or, you know, where do you find yourself in the relaxed space? 
So I am on the board of prime timers here in the state of Minnesota. Um, I enjoy reading. I, um, in fact, right now, John and I are reading a book called A River to Remember, and it's 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 just a crazy book that's going everywhere, and you're like, okay, what's what's going to happen next? And um, that's great. And then, um, you know, I I talk on the phone a lot. Um, I still do enjoy, um, you know, technology. We just released a new device this year called the Activator from Handy Tech, and basically, it is a Perkins style keyboard and you can flip that over and you have a QWERTY keyboard. So that is, um, you know, something that, that I'm saying quite busy with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy, uh, John and I went sailing a few weeks ago and Mm. being behind that sailboat and, and, Uh um, um, you know, driving it, um, was a lot of fun i started and stopped the engines fed it up slowed it down um a friend of mine and i were going uh flying last week but we didn't get to go because it was hot but i do enjoy um you know being on and flying on small craft airplanes and then um another thing that john and his partner did was country two-step dance and I've not really done a lot of dancing in my life, but recently we decided to do that. And um, it's been a lot of fun for me as well. So that might be a thing I pick up. It's, it's, it seems to be a fun thing. I'm a musician and enjoy country music. So why not go dance to it? I guess. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Best and worst airport from your perspective. Best and worst airport. Um, I would say the best airport for me, um, because remember I smoke, before they took them all out was Atlanta because I could still smoke there. There was one place I could go upstairs in the A terminal. I was there there on a Sunday there smoking and one of my distributors from Alabama walked in in my cage and he said, boy, they let anybody in here, don't they? And I'm thinking, what the heck are you doing here? (laughs) and probably the worst um michigan i'm sorry but i do not like walking through that long tunnel with the psychedelic music playing yeah in detroit (laughs) yeah (laughs) it like bounces off the walls Uh uh-huh it does and you're just like oh my god probably worst experience airport travel you know, I mean, you can tell a million stories on oh, my plane was delayed. Well, the worst one, I went on a cruise, got off the cruise. My roommate, my roommate had COVID on the cruise, like the last day he was very sick in bed. Um, I got off the cruise, found out when I left that I tested positive for COVID. And I spent the night literally all night long in the Charlotte airport. And my only saving grace was they had wooden rockers. So I could actually sit in one of these rockers and just kind of rock my blues away all night. Wow. 
So maybe Bob will raise his hand and answer this as well. But what would Mike say is your best quality and your most frustrating quality? Probably my most frustrating quality, his most frustrating quality would probably be that I over-explain. <laughs> um, yeah, and Bob, you can certainly chime in because I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna add something to that question if you wish. Um, and what was the other my best quality? Yeah. Um I think John kind of put it into perspective while we were at convention. He sent me a text that I will always remember. And he said something like, I told him we were having a great time. And he sends me a text and it said something like, you are like a hummingbird taking in all the nectar. Because I do kind of like, you know, visit yeah. everybody and talk to, I mean, I'm just kind of a social butterfly. That's and a not great only description. Because, and, 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 and not only because I want to give, because I also want to receive energy and talk to folks and learn as much about people as I can, right? And so John just called me a hummingbird. So last one from me, um, you know, music, the various career paths. Is there anything you've dreamed about or thought about that you haven't done that's, you know, still on the top of that bucket list? Something you have to do before God takes you home. <laughs> um, one thing I've thought about, and I don't even know if it can be done, but it's a thing I would like to at least try probably would be scuba diving. And I know that sounds crazy. Maybe I'll do it in the pool. I've asked a friend of mine who is sighted about it, who is a scuba diver. And he's like, why do you want to do it? You can't see anything under the water. Why do you care? And it's like, it's not about seeing it. It's about the experience of being down there and being able to yeah. breathe with the tank on and doing all those things. Can a blind person do it? I don't know, but I want to. I think we can. Some folks said that to me about jumping out of the plane um, the first day of convention. <laughs> but um, it was it, it was well worth it. I loved every second, of, you know, because it's about a minute and a half. <laughs> you know, you got to take it all. I would have, uh, you know, it was always one of my top bucket lists, but I was waiting because I wanted to do it over New Zealand. And then I lost my eyesight. So now it didn't matter where. So I did it up in Schomburg. <laughs> I promise you they would be pushing me out of that plane. I would I would not be jumping out of nobody. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> All right. So I heard some hands already had gone up. So Sheila, who do we have up first? Jane. Welcome back to Sunday edition, Jane. I am very glad to be here. And hi Jane. To, hi to you, the wonderful guest. For you your explanation about friends and Ronnie Millsap reminded me of meeting and getting to speak with Martin Luther King and having some idiot, and I do know some ignorant hosts, which tell me, oh, do you know you're talking to a black man? I said, do you know that you just made me not want to talk to you? And I 
continued my conversation, just meeting Martin Luther King. Um, he was at the college where my mother then worked, and it was fabulous. So meeting people is a gift that you have been given, and meeting them well is a gift that you have been given. You know, just go, hey, Absolutely. what you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I loved your piano. Your touch is soft and fluid, and it was almost like the piano was a song in addition to your words. So Thank you so much. You know, I'll just quickly say that when I moved to Minnesota, I bought that piano. Mm. And um, it was, it, it, I love that piano myself. I, I just, it I shows. love my piano. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're petting a kitty or a dog, you know, you know it's just very well. Uh, we lived so in Minnesota. Much. We lived in Minnesota for over 30 years. So I bet we could talk about lots of people we have in common. Um, the other thing I wanted to say to you is that I love um, State Services for the Blind. Their radio talking book network is superb. They do a yeah. great job. And I'm jealous because you're reading The River We Remember, and I'm waiting for it to get itself out on Bard. And they're uh -huh. But oh, well, I don't I don't use any of the reading services yet. But bless you as you as you keep singing. Um, I have a brother who's gay, a sister who is uh, very committed to letting life bring her to a partner who will cherish her wherever that comes up. And I really want that for her. And you remind me that it's not our job to judge. We, if we do anything, we get to love people and, and um, grow out from there, but it's not, we don't get to judge people. So my brother has been very important to me in my life. And I remember coming at his gay place from a very um, conservative religious point of view. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad I could move. Absolutely. Yep. Bless you. You carry on. Well, you know, Jane, I just want to say thank you for that. And, and, you know, yeah. I, when when Anthony asked me to be on the program today, mm. I, of course, I said sure. Mm. And then I'm I, I'm thinking, you know, I don't tell everybody who I meet. I'm Mike Tyndall. Oh, and by the way, I'm gay. Right. You know, I I I I, I yeah. never discuss it, right? And mm -hmm. and now it's like in a public space where it's out there, and that's okay. Um, you know, I feel like that at this point of my life, I am who I am and all of the friends that I have, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, 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 I would hope that if there's anyone listening who did not know about this part of my life, I would hope mm -hmm. that, you know, they, as you said, Jane, can take it where it is, not yes. judge. And, you know, everybody can be the person um, that 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 we can be, because, yep. you know, I I kind of did think about, wow, there are probably going to be people who have absolutely no idea. And they're just going to be like, what? Hmm. But I, I, I think, you know, that's OK. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. There's a there's a wonderful poem called The Magician, and it's written by a man, and I can't think of his name at the minute, 
who is blind and who is black. And it's like black, do, 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 wand switch, blind, do, 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 do. And it was just, he goes back and <laughs> forth between the two and talks about the power of them. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll yeah. send it to Anthony, right? Later, I'll listen. Now. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Jane. Sure enough. Thank you, Jane. Yep. All right, Sheila, who's up? All right, you've got about 10 minutes, sir. All right. Scott. Well, we got two Scott, so let's, Scott Edwards, you're mm. first. Oh, yeah. Hey, Mike, this is one of your past customers. Hi, oh, Scott. Good to hey, see you. Hey, yeah, you too. Well, I wanted to ask out of all the people in your life and the things they said to you, which who said a particular word of wisdom to you that you'll never forget? And, and who was it that said it? What was, what was their word of wisdom? They- you know, that's pretty easy, Scott. And thank you oh, for yeah. asking that. Thank you for asking that question. But I have to say, I have to say, it would have been my grandfather. What did he say? After every conversation that we had before and after he knew that I was gay, uh-huh. he would always say to me, go with God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Scott. Uh-huh. I'm guessing Scott number two is up? Yes. <laughs> oh, God, here we go. Oh, I, I scrapped the gotcha <laughs> questions long ago. Um, I Jane's a terribly difficult act to follow. I she said it all, but I wanted to also tell you, though, or, or urge you to consider that your story needs to be told outside our community as well. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's on moth or whether it's on risk. Which, by the way, thank you, Bryn and. Uh, Leah from uh, BPI for turning me on to this a couple of weeks ago. I've been listening to this story podcast for hours and uh, it's amazing. And your story is amazing and uh, they'd help you pitch it. Uh, And I'm sure the moth does the same thing as far as assisting people for putting that kind of thing together, (laughs) but you're such a giving person. I know and uh, that would be such a vehicle that uh, so many people could learn from your life experience. And uh, that would be a, a credit to all of us and to our community. And finally, um, congratulations. You survived the Phil Donahue of ACB Media, uh, our host, uh, <laughs> Anthony. Uh and I, I think I'm getting better at thinking about that because when he asked you a question or two, I had just written down the same question. So <laughs> maybe I'm learning from him how to do this right. But, uh, the, we, but think about uh, about trying to to work your story and, and getting it more broadly uh, heard. Scott, Thanks I very so, much. I so appreciate what you said um you know as i said a a while ago i i never had second thoughts about doing this today but it was just like wow i mean like i mean i tell people 
yes, I'm gay. Or if it comes up, I mean, if people see me in a bride or something, yes, I'm gay. Or, you know, I'm, I've been president of our local primetimer chapter and I'm currently vice president and running for the board again. And it's like, okay. I mean, in that context, yes, I'm gay, but I have never been on any um, visually impaired platform at all and said, yes, I'm gay. Um, and I, and I, and I guess, you know, it, it kind of feels good in a way to be able to just totally be me. And Scott, thank you so much for, um, you know, encouraging me to do it again. And I, I, I so appreciate everything you had to say there. And, 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 you know, it's funny because Anthony and I did not really talk a lot about what was going to be said today. And the questions that he asked absolutely rolled into exactly what I wanted to talk about. So perfect. Well, thank you. I, I try, I don't usually send out a list of questions. I am a conversational interviewer and um, I really appreciate you recognizing that I was trying to pull out what I, you know, what I thought you were trying to, to give us. Sheila, how many hands do we have? Three. All right. So let's go off air, Bryn, and we'll take those three quickly. Um, Sheila, if you need to transfer host back to me, that's fine. Bryn, let's oh uh, close out. I will be back next week with a fabulous show. Um, don't remember what it is. Oh, Peter Altschul and the Employment Committee has got some stuff and a few surprise announcements. You can uh, check us out on Wednesday night at the Sunday Edition Book Club at 9 p.m. I'll be on Herbie's Cooking Corner on Tuesday at 10 a.m. And I'll see everybody here this time next week. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. Stream one. That's American Council of the Blind Media or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays. And you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.